Uh, we have an Old Testament in a gospel reading. The Old Testament is rather lengthy. I'll ask that you remain seated to receive instruction from the Old Testament, and then we'll stand for the gospel reading. The Old Testament reading is going to begin uh, a series uh, that I will have with you that the Lord led me to for my time with you through, at least for now, uh, through the end of August, a couple of times a month or so, and it's in Exodus, uh, the journey of a lifetime. Because I wanted to ask, what can we learn from the Lord during this unique time in the life of our church, but deeper still, what can we learn for our lives? Because as your pastor during this time, I want to be careful that we do not treat this merely as an organizational shift, as if this is only about an organizational change. We had a pastor, uh, the pastor's not here, now we're in a transition, now we'll have a new pastor, and that's what all of this is about. Now that is the presenting issue for deeper issues that are going on in all of our lives, mine included. And that's what I'm pastoring toward. And that is what I am asking God to show us, that is what I am asking, that is where I want to be shepherded by the Lord Jesus. And so we go to the book of Exodus, selected portions of Exodus chapter 1, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Many of you will recognize these very familiar passages. And I remind you that this is the inerrant and the infallible word of the living God. Exodus chapter 1, beginning with verse 8, and then intercepting passages after. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shepra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Verse 20. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. 
Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, verse 6. Chapter 6, verses 35 uh, through 37. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do, do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out the holy gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Amen. Please be seated. Life is filled with mysteries.
There's so many there's so many things that happen to us that seem to be out of our control. The good things that we can't take credit for. There are so many things that seem to be working against us and try as we will, they too seem to be outside of our ability to stop them. Life is mystery. Last weekend I was preaching at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. I'm the command chaplain of U.S. Military Intelligence Reserve. I had preached about uh, a similar subject, Proverbs 3, uh, 5 and 6, and about how God makes our paths straight. And a young uh, lady came into my, a young soldier came in, female soldier came into my uh, chaplain's office and she was walking out and she was stealing one of these little scriptures that was put into a frame. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And you know the way they put scriptures into a frame and sell them at bookstores? And she had stolen it and put it in her pocket and she was walking out. And I said, uh, <clears throat> Major, she was an officer. I said, uh, Major, can I, can I help you? She said, well, I, I heard you preaching about, and she took it out of her pocket, and she said, uh, I guess I shouldn't do this. And I said, well, I guess you shouldn't, but I, she said, could you explain it to me? I said, well, yes. I said, you know, the thing about that is, is, that, is that God makes our paths straight, that sometimes he doesn't always... Uh, it's not that he's working, uh, it's that he's working beyond us and underneath us and around us to make things for us. Uh, Romans 8, 28, he's working all things together for us so that it, it turns out uh, to our good. And I told her, even, even death is a pathway that he will straighten out and cause to be a portal through which we will walk or journey into eternal life. And I said, by the way, keep, keep, the, keep the frame. And she said, well, that, that really helps. I said, well, the only thing is that it helps, you know, if you're in Christ. This power begins to activate and work for you. This providential, supernatural power of God working for you in that way. Life is a mystery. It sure was a mystery 
in Exodus. In this passage, there was pain. It had been 70 years since Joseph had died. A king had arose that did not know Joseph didn't care for his people who were multiplying. And he had put out an edict to kill all the, the baby boys, a motif, by the way, which reoccurs throughout Scripture. You will recognize it as the motif that reappears when? At the birth of, of Jesus. And this painful situation seems completely out of control for the Hebrew children who are in a foreign land and who are now in slavery. It seems a long way away from when Father Joseph was the veritable prime minister of Egypt. Now the Hebrew children are in slavery and being mistreated and even being murdered, snuffed out. Life is a mystery. There may be someone here who feels like it was just yesterday that you were converted and and things felt so right and good between you and God. But now things feel complicated. Your faith feels under attack. You feel in bondage to events and, and things that are larger than you are that are out of your control. Surely God cannot be involved with this. I have felt that way. I am standing before you as an interim pastor rather than the president and chancellor of a seminary because of an African virus that attacked my body some years ago, in 2010. And after seven years in serving in that way, I, my ministry took a certain, sudden turn. And my wife and my son cared for me hand and foot for over a year, and even now I feel the effects of that. By the way, I don't have the virus. So if I shake your hand, I think you're okay, unless I have a cold or something. But it did leave some lingering effects. And it hasn't, I can still preach and still, but I, I, I'm not running seven campuses and, and traveling all over the world, which has it, its positives too, because my heart now is for the local church. It's for par the parish ministry, for this community, for North Carolina, for, for the greater Charlotte area. So my heart is rejoicing. So I don't want you to, to bring out your violins for me. I'm happy. But I'm saying 
along with you that things, things change and seem out of our control. And thus it was with Israel. But what we see clearly from the passage is a truth that we want to take away from this service and take with us to this communion table. And that is that God's transforming power is at work and he transforms our pain. He transforms our pain through his promises so that our, our pain becomes his providence. Now, that's a lot of peas. What I'm saying is, you start over here and you've got the, the mysterious, unknown question mark of pain. But all of a sudden, God's promises kick in, which have nothing to do with you and your ability to even understand what is going on. And it leads to God's providence. And the advancing of his kingdom, which is even larger than you are, but it brings about a blessing on you and on his kingdom. And that's what this passage is about. Well, how does he do it? How does God transform your pain into, into praise, into, into his providence? Well, there's four ways. Number one, God transforms our pain into praise, into his providence through a father through a father. And here's what I mean by father. The father that I'm talking about is Joseph. At the end of Genesis, we have a father. And the father is Joseph, and Joseph is giving his blessing at his deathbed. And he's promising, he's making a promise over Israel he says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to a land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so everything that is happening here, underneath the pain, underneath the trials, underneath the slavery, underneath all of the inexplicable activity of chapter 1 of Exodus, you have to understand that underneath that is the powerful promise of God exercised through a faithful man of God, this father. Now, it could be a mother, it could be an aunt, it could be an uncle, it could be a friend. In this case, it's Father Joseph. And it's somebody in your life. That's why you're here today. That's why you're a believer. Because somebody long ago in your life, maybe generations in your life, got down on their knees, laid down prostrate, and prayed for you that you would come to Christ, that you would serve God. Two weeks ago, I had to go preach at Fort Garden, Georgia.
And so I took a side trip after I preached a couple of days to Warren, Georgia, which is about as close as you can get to uh, nowhere. Because there buried is a fellow by the name of Jephthah Vining, who planted churches in North Carolina and South Carolina, and he planted his last church in Warren, Georgia. And that's where he's buried. And in one of his letters, he prayed for his progeny. He, he's my third great-grandfather. Now, he's one of many in my family that prayed for me. Did he know my name? No. Do I believe his prayers were effectual for my salvation? Yes. Do I believe I'm a living legacy of his prayers? Yes. Do I believe I'm a living legacy of my Aunt Eva who reared me in a poverty-stricken area on the Louisiana-Mississippi border when I was orphaned as a boy? Yes. Do I believe my father who prayed for me? Yes. My grandfather? Yes. My grandma? Yes. You and I are products of those who have prayed for us. Life is mystery. But God is opening the curtains of the mystery just a little bit this morning for you to see that there are those, some of those are across the ocean. Some of those aren't in your family line. Some of those, you, you, you'll, you don't know who they are until you get to heaven and they'll say, you know, I, I, I was praying for people in North America. For those folks in North America in the early 21st century. And God applied it to your life and you'll, you'll meet them. Life is a mystery, but this is no mystery that God uses ordinary men and women and boys and girls to pray, and God turns prayer, he transforms like a catalytic converter. Prayer is catalytic, catalytically converted into providence. Providence then is converted into praise. And that's how people are liberated. That's how people are saved. That's how people are freed. All right. Who are you praying for? There's a second way that God transforms our pain into praise and providence. And that is through a Pharaoh. What? I got the father part, but the Pharaoh, that's the evil guy, right? Yes. So God's advancing his kingdom through a bad guy, right? Where'd you get that? The Bible. Let's take a look. You see, Pharaoh thinks he's just this independent power, self-authenticating, 
self-perpetuating, but all the kings of the earth, the good, the bad, the ugly, are under control of God. And everything that Pharaoh is doing is simply working into the divine plan of Almighty God. But he's hurting people. He's killing people. How could God... Well, God is not to be charged with the sins of this murderer, Pharaoh. No. No, no, no. But God will use the horrendous acts of this man to shape human history. What will happen? God will use the acts of this man to bring about the heroic acts of a third group of people. And that's where I want to go right now. The third way that God transforms pain into praise and providence is through midwives. Now, they are the heroines of the story. This is the tenderloin of the story. What are midwives? I thought I knew until the BBC produced a show called Call the Midwives. My wife was a great devotee of Call the Midwives, and like a faithful husband, I watched Call the Midwives. I am a father and a grandfather and a husband. I learned more than I ever wanted to know about the whole birthing process. And uh, I heard too many women screaming. And it is not that I'm against uh, hearing women screaming, but it turns me into jello. And uh, I just couldn't hardly take it. But I have uh, a renewed respect for the profession of midwives. And here in this story, the midwives are used powerfully by God. And I'm going to tell you, God has a way in the Old Testament of using women in a significant way. At the end of Judges, at the end of Judges, it says every man did what was right in his own eyes. The Judges, it looked like the covenant was failing. Uh, and so what historians call larger history or higher history was failing. Kings and, and uh, movements and wars and all the kings and queens, the big dates, the way history moves forward with higher history was failing. And so we come to, uh, to Ruth, the Moabitess, a Gentile woman, and she's faithful. And the story ends uh, with her uh, husband, uh, who is a redeemer. And then we move to, uh, we'll move to Hannah, uh, who is a faithful lass, who will bring forth uh, uh, Samuel, though she was a childless, another Mary Jesus uh, uh, story which is planted in the Old Testament. Over and over and over again, we see in the Old Testament how God uses then lower history, the seemingly insignificant, the seemingly... Uh, 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 anonymous stories of life to show that this is the way he glorifies himself. And the way he glorifies himself defeats Pharaoh, brings about the kingdom of God, the birth of Moses, the protection of the one who will lead the children of Israel out of Egypt 
into the promised land, fulfill Joseph's promise, Abraham's promise, give a land, bring forward a Messiah, bless the entire world, or the midwives who feared God more than they feared man. And you know what? That is the way God transforms pain into providence. Somebody enters our life who fears God more than man, who shares the gospel and births faith in our life, who delivers hope, who bears with us through the hard times the labor of our lives until we can bring forth vision. A father, a pharaoh, a midwife, and then finally a miracle is the fourth way God transforms pain to praise to providence. And the miracle is the birth of Moses. And the miracle is just extraordinary. Not only is Moses born because of the midwife's intervention, he is born in a miraculous way through the intervention of his sister, uh, the intervention of all things. Here it is, one of numerous paradoxes in the gospel where God will turn things upside down. In this case, Pharaoh says, kill all the male children. So God says, okay, let's take the male child I'm going to use to bring Israel out and let's cause him to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter. That'd be good. Let's let's send my only begotten son and have the devil to dance a jig as he's on a cross dying but the cross will become not a sign of defeat but a sign of victory because on the cross he'll take he'll bear the sins of the world let's do that and then in a grave we'll cause the grave to become not the sign of death but the place of life I know. Let's take, let's take the worst filthy sinner. Let's see. Let's take Mike Milton. Let's make him a preacher. <laughs> no, that's too much. No, let's do that. You see what God's up to? And you came in here thinking, maybe, 
There's no hope. But that table says there's hope. Because that table is a divine recalibration of all of our lives again to the simple truth. God loves you. And that changes everything. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.